Good morning. Today's reading is from Matthew 5, 3 to 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Kathy. Appreciate it. Well, I am excited to begin this new uh, series this morning. Call it, we're calling it the Beatitudes and Operation of Grace. Uh, we're going to finish out this summer and take the next seven or eight weeks or so to look at really the incredible introduction to the most incredible sermon that's ever been uh, preached by Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes are the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, when I candidated at Bethany Church oh, three plus years back, um, one of the things that drew me here and helped me see that God was doing a work here that I could jump into was uh, the children's director at that time, Anna Burnham. I remember meeting her and uh, with her and hearing how she was leading the children's ministry through sort of a, a, a reformation, you might say, a transformation. She had her teachers reading through uh, this great book called Show Them Jesus. And the overarching theme of that book was to show children Jesus to show them about Jesus, to show them who Jesus is and was when he was on earth. It really was to show them the gospel, to bring the children of the church to the gospel. Let them meet and fall in love with Jesus, and then you would see life transformation take place. The theme of that book and what was, what was going on in our children's ministry when I got here. You know, in too many places, children's ministry can be not much more than teaching kids lessons about behavior only. And when we do that, what happens is they grow up and, and, and then they get away from the church as soon as they possibly can, if that's all it is. Rather than helping them follow Jesus, knowing that he would transform them from the inside out and their hearts to be like him. It's a, it's a radically different approach to ministry and one that was taking place here as I arrived. And thank you, Anna, for doing that. I point this out this morning because it's possible with a series, even like the Beatitudes, or actually the entire Sermon on the Mount, to take them and, and turn them just into a list, uh, a Sunday school list of to-dos, a checklist, a to-do list. And maybe even if you grew up in the church, the Beatitudes for you uh, became kind of, were taught to you like this. The Beatitudes, maybe you heard the phrase, well, it means be at this attitude, Maybe you heard that. Maybe you grew up in the church with that. And your teacher might say to you, so 
Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. What does that mean, kids? It means, well, we have to be merciful. The teacher might respond, well, great. Now, go do that. Get at it. Go do it. And if we do this with the Beatitudes, we are robbing them of their richness, turning them into a a works-based righteousness to-do list when there's so much more than that. I mean, think about the be merciful, be peacemaker. They're not just commandments, as if you could just go do it. They're much richer and deeper. Maybe you didn't grow up in Sunday school like that or heard them teach like, taught like this. And if you did, they can become really discouraging, actually, looking at the Beatitudes as a list. Really discouraging. Or maybe you look at them today and go, these look really challenging or even confusing. And, you know, you might even think, looking at these Beatitudes, I don't even know anybody who really lives like this as you unpack Jesus' first 12 verses here. Well, what we're going to do is take a step back and come to these, I hope, with fresh eyes. We're going to look at them as, I hope, as if it was the first time we were seeing them, these Beatitudes. And we're going to look at the Beatitudes not as a to-do list, something we have to do as do's and don'ts, but something far more beautiful and richer. This morning we're going to look and see that the Beatitudes are the qualities of someone who's had an operation of grace upon them. And that being poor in spirit is the doorway to the kingdom of heaven. That's where we're going to start today. So let's begin. We're going to start by looking at the whole before we look at the parts. The whole of the Beatitudes before we begin with kind of the first part today. So grab your outline. Hopefully you got it. Your text open to Matthew 5 as we believe and teach at Bethany Church that God still speaks. And then when we open his word, he speaks to us and he is going to do that now. We are blessed for that. Let's look at the whole, as I said, before we look at the parts. The Beatitudes, the first whole we're going to look at is that God gives us other world happiness through them. God gives us an other world, different from our world, type of happiness. You know, the great question and concern of all of humanity has been happiness. Happiness. The pursuit thereof. I mean, it's written into our Declaration of Independence, even life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? Happiness. Happiness. And humanity has a million different doorways they run through to chase this ever-fleeting happiness. All kinds of doorways. All kinds of avenues. And to watch the dead ends that people run towards to pursue happiness can be tragic. You've probably tried some of those. And amazing, it's the allure, actually, and the enticement of sin. It's, it's kind of like, I like to use this analogy, this picture of sin. It's kind of like cotton candy, sin itself. I mean, it looks bright and tasty, and it's full, and it promises so much. And what happens with cotton candy? You put it in your mouth, and what does it instantly happen? It dissolves. It's gone. It's like it wasn't even real. It disintegrates, leaving you empty and with like a sugar overload, right? You're shaking. That's cotton candy. How many times have you been tempted and allured by a a type of cotton candy promise of happiness, only to have it disintegrate, disappoint you, 
and just leaving you feeling terrible before God. I mean, that's sin. That's the definition of sin, or at least the impact or effects of it. Well, here as we talk about this other world happiness, the Beatitudes begin with this word, and even the word Beatitude itself means blessed or happy. And each verse you notice when Kathy was reading it begins with this word, blessed or blessed. It's really kind of a hard word for us to translate, this other world happiness. All different kinds of commentators and people try to think, well, what does this mean? This blessedness, this happiness that the Beatitudes talks about. Here's how some commentators and others have tried to define it. Blessedness means a a supremely blessed or fortunate, um, happy, we said. A person who's blessed is to be congratulated or envied, some have even said. It means having God's approval, honorable, or some have even said, I think Philip Yancey even described it as the word, the best word for us, lucky. Interesting. Not something you earned or deserved, just kind of happened to you, this blessedness. God is saying here, in the Beatitudes, as we look at the whole first, if you want true happiness in life, blessedness in life, here's the way. It's an other world happiness. It's like, it's like the bizarro world of happiness. Not like what you would expect. Our world would say blessedness, happiness, is, is being self-sufficient, self-reliant, independent. And the other world happiness of God says, blessed are the poor in spirit? How does that make sense? Well, how about next week's beatitude? Blessed are those who mourn. No, the world says blessed are those who have ease and comfort, pain-free, a leisurely life. And the bizarro world happiness says no. There is joy and happiness for those who mourn. Or how many times have you heard this phrase? I mean, hey, congratulations for being persecuted. <laughs> have you heard that? No. You don't hear that in our world. It's a bizarro world type of happiness. But this is the happiness and the blessedness God points us to. And Jesus, some of the first words out of his mouth in his most uh, intense and, and beautiful sermon, these are his words. It's the counterintuitive gospel of Jesus, one commentator said. It's counterintuitive is another way to put it. To show us life in the kingdom is completely contrary to what you and I expect. It's totally otherworldly. And it's completely contrary because of our second truth about the whole is the Beatitudes are not natural. They are an operation of grace upon you. They're not natural. It's our second point in your uh, outline. But they're an operation of of grace. These are not, as you read them, natural-born characteristics. They're just not. Or, or you might say personality traits. They're not just things you're born with. Nobody by birth or nature is like this. That's why the Beatitudes can never just be a be-at-this-attitude. That kind of operation I mean, this is nothing against the imperatives of the Bible or the commands of the Bible. But if you look at these, first of all, these aren't imperatives. These are not commands, so we shouldn't actually read them like that. And second, we know all the imperatives of the Bible anyways are only possible with God working in and through us. They're an operation of grace. And so we can't reduce these down 
to a be at this attitude kind of operation. And we can't reduce these down just to uh, personality traits or characteristics. Well, you know, like, he's just a really meek guy. He's just, that's kind of his personality. Poor in spirit. Or she's just a really nice lady. That's just the way she is. That's not what we're talking about here. Personality traits. And, you know, we all have a natural temperament. We do. Some of us are more aggressive. Others are quite shy. Some speak less. And so they might say less hurtful things because just they speak less. We have temperaments. We have personalities. That's not what this is talking about. And we aren't responsible necessarily for our temperament. It's the way we're born. And it actually has nothing to do really with our spiritual state in a relationship to God. And, and thank God this isn't about temperament because here's what it means. It means both the meek and the shy person and the aggressive type A person can both be poor in spirit. That's beautiful. That's a good thing. That's good news. These are much deeper than a beaded attitude. This is an operation of grace. This is a disposition, a character that's produced by God, by his spirit in followers of Jesus and by no other way. And when you begin to really look at the Beatitudes this way, you see that they're not only otherworldly, but they're otherworldly beautiful too. And you begin to see them not as worldly ambitions, but our third point in this overview as gospel ambitions. These aren't worldly. The Beatitudes shows us gospel ambitions, what we are to be after. You know, the world has so many ambitions. You and I have so many ambitions. And we, we each have our own, too, individually. Success, likes on an Instagram post, not to be accountable or indebted to anyone. That's an ambition of a lot of people. Maybe it's the ambition we have to have well-behaved kids or pride in our home. And what we have going on here in these ambitions is that these are really the difference. If you boil it down, these are the difference between someone who's a follower of Christ and someone who can't say that and someone who's not. This is, this is just who we are, not what we do, but as followers of Jesus, this is, this is who we are. All of us now. Sometimes some people read the Beatitudes and say, well, those are for like, the super Christians. Those are for like the ones that have had this thing going on for decades or it's for the pastor and the elders or, or a missionary or some special you know, saint we look at in the church. No, these are for all of us all the time. Not just for super Christians. The Beatitudes are for Christians. All of us who call ourselves followers of Christ. And so Jesus rattles us a bit. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount was meant to do that. He rattles us a bit by making us take inventory of our life with these Beatitudes. What do I admire? What is your ambition? What is my life about? Do I desire these things here? Do I admire these things? Or, or, or like the world, do I see humility as weakness, mourning as frail? Purity of heart, eh, they're just a bit too overzealous for that Christianity thing. Hunger and thirst for righteousness is another one. I don't know. I hunger for a lot of things, but do I hunger for that? Is that, my, is that a gospel ambition for me? What do you hunger for? That's the question. What do you hunger for? 
Well, is that what's that one thing or those few things that when you lose them make you most angry? Uh, the answer to that question is what you're hungry for. If you want to know what you're hungry for, that's the answer to that question. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's ease. The desire to not be inconvenienced. And what Jesus is doing here, he's pointing us to heart-level ambitions. Not worldly ambitions, but gospel ambitions, we're calling them. And as a Christian, I mean, we, I hope we could all agree that, I mean, our desires and ambitions should actually not be aligned with everybody else in the world. We should actually look as different from everyone else who is not a Christian as we can. And not because it's prideful or because we're some special group, but because it is this otherworldly. And this has not been a popular concept, actually, if you think about it, that the church should look, should look different than the world. This has not been a popular concept in the church the last few decades. We've been told, you know, if you just look more like the world in our worship, our attitudes, our language, our goals, our interests, we would attract more into the church. That has been the message of the last three or four decades. Let's just not be as churchy as we can, or as least churchy as we can. And I mean, if that we mean by let's not be self-righteous to those outside the church, that's great, that's good. But the Bible actually tells us the opposite. What attracts those in the world is when we look different. But that's not the message a lot of us grew up on in the church. That's why Jesus gives us a different set of ambitions, gospel ambitions. And we look different because, here's our fourth kind of overarching whole, they do not describe the way into the kingdom, but they describe the one who is already in kingdom. These aren't the way in. They're meant there to describe one who is already in the kingdom. That's why this first beatitude and one of the last ones we're going to get to talk about the kingdom. The very first thing you and I need to realize about yourself if you're a Christian is that you belong to another kingdom. Another kingdom. As different from this world as Narnia is and C.S. Lewis's books from Earth. Or Alice's Wonderland. Have you ever read that book or saw, seen one of those movies? As different as Alice's Wonderland is from our world. Even more different than that. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, one kingdom, into his marvelous light. Another kingdom. Another whole realm. Even though we still live in this world. I mean, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. What could be more different, as Peter describes it, than darkness and light? Yeah, there's no two more different things. Or Colossians 1.13, Paul writes, He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. We are in the world, the Beatitudes teach us, but not of it. So, of course, we live in this world. It's good. It's a gift from God. We can enjoy the things of the world. Some have read that and just said, pulled up the drawbridge. Shut everyone out. We're in another kingdom. Oh, we, we can't be tainted by interacting with the rest of that other the world. No, no. We can enjoy the things of this world. It's a good gift from God. But our allegiances... 
our heart desires, our loves, our passions, our ambitions, our very selves are to be kingdom-oriented. God's kingdom. As one commentator said, so what Jesus is saying here is that if you want to know you've come to believe the gospel I've been preaching, look for these qualities in your life. Not the way into the kingdom, but the description of somebody who is already in the kingdom. There's an understanding in the Beatitudes that we come to them that you've already been transferred from one kingdom to another, as we just read in those verses. That's the uh, understanding and the assumption of the Beatitudes. If you know you're a sinner saved by grace, an operation of grace, if you've turned from yourself and self-righteousness as a blessed one, then, then you'll see these things in your life. Like a litmus test for us. In some ways, kind of like 1 John was. You see, the world and every other religion of the world says this. Be this way, then be blessed. You see the order of the Beatitudes? The Beatitudes say, the blessed are this way. They're not the way in. They're the description of those who already are in the kingdom of God. So let's move from the hearts, the, the whole now to the parts. The whole now to our one first part today, for kind of the second half this morning. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 3, says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's the first thing we want to look at as now as we focus in specifically on this beatitude. The doorway to the kingdom is to be poor in spirit. That's our first point under that second half of this. The doorway to the kingdom is to be poor in spirit. That's why it's the first beatitude. That's why it's at the top. There's a logical order to these beatitudes that Jesus wants to see. It starts here with this first one. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven here really means the kingdom of God. The Jews that Matthew was writing to, as that was his primary audience, would have understood this kingdom of heaven to be sort of a euphemism for saying the kingdom of God without actually saying his name because they didn't really do that to honor God. And so Jesus says here, the kingdom of heaven, they would have heard kingdom of God. So this is more than just speaking about where Christians go when they die, the kingdom of heaven, or some ethereal disembodied place when Jesus says the poor in spirit have this kingdom. It's more than that. No, what Jesus means here is that the kingdom is the, the dynamic place wherever he reigns. Not static, the dynamic place wherever Christ reigns sovereign in this world. So in one sense, he's reigning on this earth. As Jesus came, he was ushering in the kingdom, overseeing all things. We know that. Every molecule is under his sovereign hand. Every penny, every drop of rain. That's the kingdom in one sense. But the kingdom of God's also dynamically present in our hearts, where he reigns there. So it's not this static, far-off place you'll get to someday. If you're a follower of Jesus, the kingdom's dwelling in you as he reigns in your life, as we come under his rule and reign in the Beatitudes and trust him for our saving and for putting all the world right. And this is really where all our problems lie. My heart. Your heart. 
We begin life even with a rebellious heart that is at odds with, with and at war against God. My heart wants what it wants. It desires and has ambitions for what I want. My own little claustrophobic kingdom of Jeff. <laughs> and it truly is the heart, the, the wellspring from really all the problems of the earthly kingdom, problems of relationships, problems of marriages, problems between races, problems with how we view ourselves. It's the heart. That's why Jesus starts here with it. And so here is why this beatitude is the doorway to the kingdom. Because it's the beatitude that deals first with our hearts. And it's a fact that there's actually no one, there's no one who's in the kingdom of God now who's not poor in spirit. No one. There's no one in the kingdom of God right now who's not poor in spirit. It's the primary attitude of a kingdom of God citizen. That's why it's first. And all the other beatitudes are going to follow from this one. Because to be poor in spirit is the primary emptying out of yourself. Emptying out of oneself. And then all the other beatitudes, it's kind of interesting, speak about being filled up. Look at them there in your, in your text. You shall be comforted, inherit the earth, satisfied, receive mercy, see God, if you're a kingdom citizen. But first, you have to empty yourself by being poor in spirit. And all the rest will come. And it's actually, if you want to put it in doctrinal language, this idea of being poor in spirit is really the doctr doctrine of justification by faith alone. That we're made right with God by believing. And that's it. By trusting in Jesus is really to be poor in spirit. A kingdom citizen, in other words, is one who's been humbled under the gospel of grace, has had an operation of grace upon their heart. And, and that's the purpose, really, of the entire Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount comes to us and says this. There's a mountain you need to climb. And the first thing we have to see that when we look at this mountain, we can't climb it. That's part of what the purpose of the law is. To show you as a tutor, Paul writes, a teacher, to show you you can't actually on your own. You need a Savior. It's so glaringly obvious there, the Sermon on the Mount, to show us our incapability. And if you, we think we can climb it, or we turn the Beatitudes into a be at this attitude, it shows we don't get it at all. We don't understand it at all. As if the Sermon on the Mount were just a, 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 a human program of willpower to be put in place and to go for. Now, to be poor in spirit is to be placed under an operation of grace that makes all these things possible. God will do it in and through you. So what then... What is poor in spirit? Let's define it to close today. What is poor in spirit? You know, sometimes when you define something, it's helpful to define it in the negative first, what it's not. And so let's do that. Let's talk about what it's not first. Uh, it's the next point you got there. To be poor in spirit does not mean thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. I think C.S. Lewis is one that came up with that phrase. It's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Now, remember, we talked about the temptation of the Beatitudes to turn them into personality or character traits or a temperament, as if being poor in spirit was just a shy person or a timid person or a reserved person or a weak or cowardly 
person? Or that a poor in spirit person would go around and say, I'm so terrible, I'm just terrible, I'm a wretch, I'm miserable, I'm horrible, kind of a self-effacement, false humility or self-hatred, thinking Jesus just wants us to beat ourselves up, that, that maybe that's poor in spirit. It's not. In fact, that kind of person can actually be a self-obsessed person because they're thinking of themselves so much. That's the difference between a really healthy heart introspection and what you might call a morbid introspection. When in the fact, someone who's poor in spirit doesn't necessarily think less of themselves. They just think of themselves less. Why? Because to be poor in spirit is a, just a continuous state of utter poverty. That's what it means. They realize they don't need to obsessively overanalyze or beat themselves up because they know just at their core they have absolutely nothing to give God and are in complete reliance on Him. That's what poor in spirit is. Complete, re complete reliance to save us to care for us, to guide us, to lead us, to give us breath even. Isaiah 64 says even, you know, we just know all of our righteousness even is tainted. All our righteous deeds, Isaiah says, are like filthy rags. And godly poverty of spirit can't be worked up by yourself. Remember, it's an operation of grace upon you, something done to you. And so that type of person then thinks of themselves less and thinks of God because the poor in spirit person is relying upon God for everything, to take care of everything. You know, our world says self-confidence is the way. Self-reliance is the way. Self-expression, that is the idol of our age. You do you, if you want to put it in, in our own phrases. Don't let anybody get in your way. Don't let anybody tell you what to do or that, ah, no regrets. I got no regrets. Oh, here's another one. Believe in yourself. Those are all lies. Why? Because they disorder the world and place you at the center. That's why. The, 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 here's the other worldliness. That's not what poor in spirit is. That's rich in spirit. You do you. Believe in yourself. So to put it positively then, to be poor in spirit, here, here's that point in your outline. Here's what it is. To be poor in spirit is to know your moral bankruptcy and own it before God. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's what he's getting at here. And this is what grace does. The spirit of grace. The spirit gives you eyes to clearly see your spiritual state and then turns your eyes away from yourself to Christ. That's poor in spirit. And only God can give you that. Do you see why only Christians can have this? It's so much more than just a, ah, he's just a really meek guy. Or she's just kind of shy and timid. She's kind of poor in spirit. No, no, no. This is so much richer. This could never be just earthly humility or shyness or weakness. It's a God word characteristic. It only comes into play when a human is face to face with God. That's poor in spirit. They know there is nothing they can offer him, 
no accomplishment, no resources, no badges of honor or earthly humility. It's when Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Israel? It's when Isaiah comes face to face with, with, face to face with God and comes undone and says, woe is me. I'm lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It's when David says, Who am I, O Lord, God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? And it's Jesus. It's Jesus who emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant who said these very words, I can do nothing of myself. If that was good enough for Jesus, the sovereign Lord of the earth to say in his humanity, I can do nothing of myself, then you and I can surely follow in those footsteps too. Because no, there was no one more secure than Christ. And being poor in spirit, yes, is admitting your weaknesses. But that's the very thing the gospel frees us to do. To own them. To know it. To say it. So how do you become poor in spirit? And don't despair. You come to these Beatitudes now, you can grow in this. You can grow in this. Don't despair as you hear it. And I go, I, I don't know how this. I don't know if I have this. I don't know how to get this. A am I poor in spirit? Here's how you get it. The way to be poor in spirit is to look at God. It's simple. It sounds simple, but that's it. The way to be poor in spirit, it's our final point there today, is to look at God. Away from self in many ways. It's the only way. There is no other doorway to the kingdom of heaven than poverty in spirit. And what does a subject of the king do? A subject of the king looks to the king looks at God, trusts him, depends upon him. Don't look at yourself for, to, for poverty in spirit. Don't navel gaze. Don't think less of yourself and think you need to beat yourself up. Think of yourself less by looking at him. That's how poverty in spirit comes. That's how you grow in it. That's why we are, I would say, fanatically obsessed with the gospel here at Bethany Church. That's why we're always doing what, what Anna did in children's ministry, showing them Jesus. Because by looking at Jesus, that's how we're transformed. Poverty of spirit comes by looking at God. And when you look to him and see his death for you, grace allows you to say this. And this is poverty in spirit. There is nothing that could be revealed in me. A lot of us have some things that could be revealed, don't we? Dark things, heavy things. But poverty in spirit lets us say, there is nothing that could be revealed in me, no sin that could undo his love for me. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the freedom it gives you. There is nothing that could be revealed in the light, which it all will be anyways, so it's not a, a, a hypothetical there is nothing that can be revealed about me that will break his love for me. In other words, embracing Jesus' poverty at the cross will give you poverty of spirit. 
we sang those words, and I closed them today. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked, poverty in spirit. That's why we sang it. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. If you want to know what a poverty in spirit phrase is, there it is. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Let's pray. Jesus, we look at you again. That's what we do here at Bethany Church. Because poverty in spirit, the, what you want to work and be in us only comes through you. And so today, yes, of course, we look at ourselves on some level, knowing who we are, naked, foul to the fountain, empty hands we bring. But, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, when we come to you that way, you fill us up. So, Jesus, give us poverty in spirit. Whether we're watching online or here today, let us know we can grow in this. Uh, you know, a kingdom citizen, yes, there is work to do as a kingdom citizen. But that work is the resting and trusting and looking to you. So work it in us. I pray a blessing upon this series as we go through these each week. May we come out the other side going and, and saying, Oh yes, Lord, these are not the way into the kingdom. But may it be what describes us at Bethany Church as those who are already in the kingdom. It's in Christ's name we pray.